Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week. 28 verse 16 through 20 is where we'll be uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath uh, the seat in front of you. Also be up on the screen. Um, if you've got a smartphone, you can use that. Um, if you want to borrow your neighbors um, and make them search for another Bible, then by all means go for that. Um, so uh, the other day I was uh, driving with my middle child and uh, he asked me a question. Dad, you know what? And it could be anything at that point. And I said, I know nothing. I should not have responded that way because the next things that came, or the next words that came out of his mouth were, that's right, ha. I'm like, oh, thank you for my seven-year-old. But what if we approached sharing our faith that way? And not in the sense that we don't know Scripture because God calls us to be uh, students of his word. In 2 Timothy 3.15, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, but what if we took that approach where we know nothing of, of really this, we know nothing of what God could be doing in the person that we are sharing our faith with. Uh, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul said that there were planters and there were waterers, Right? Waterers, that's a funny word. But in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Listen, sharing our faith, your faith, my faith, that's up to us. But the growth is up to God. The outcome is not up to us. And let's, let me be frank for a minute. We need to stop acting like little Holy Spirits all over the place thinking that we can do the converting in people's hearts. Listen, we can't. Only God can do that. But our responsibility as believers, if you are a born-again believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you've confessed your sins, you've repented of your sins, you're following Jesus with all your heart, we are called to share our faith. There's not many amens to that because when it comes to sharing our faith, some of us, let's be honest, are a little timid. And that's okay. That's why I want to get into what we're talking about today because I hope to break that. Uh, if, if you came in this morning and you're like, man, if he's going to talk about share, sharing your faith and then we're going to go out afterwards, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. Yes, you can. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. Not in your own power, not in Craig's power, not in Ian's power, but the Holy Spirit's power. See, our job as pastors and elders is to equip. It's not to do everything. And I think that's where we get confused sometimes. And we'll get into it in a moment. Let the spiritually elite do it, right? There's no such thing as spiritually elite. We're all sinners. It doesn't matter if you have a title or not. And guess what? The pastor all the way down to the janitor of the church, we're called to share our faith. So, how can I share my faith more effectively? Well, let's find out. Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20. If you would stand as we read God's word together. I'm reading out of the ESV translation. And uh, like I said, there's Bibles under your seat. There's one on the screen. We're ready to go. Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lord, this is your word. God, and we know that when your word goes forth, it does not return void. And so, Lord, we pray that as the seeds are planted this morning, our hearts would be good soil, that we would receive your word and we would watch your word grow in our lives, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Help us to to get rid of any any assumption that we might have of what it means to sharing our faith. Help us to, to... give you our fears when it comes to sharing our faith. God, in exchange for our fears, Lord, we ask that you would give us your boldness and your courage, that we would go in your power, not our own, but in yours. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in our midst this morning, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all can take a seat. Uh, Let me tell you what is really refreshing for a pastor is to see the church step up. Um, and whether that's at a work day or whether it's signing up for children's ministry or whether it's the worship team growing or whether it's greeters or whatever, listen, even in regards to giving, listen, that is refreshing because then I know it's not all on me. We're in this together. Amen? Amen. So uh, those of you that painted that giant wall in the back, thank you. Uh, And if you haven't noticed, (laughs) the wall's a different color. Um, but we're not here to talk about a wall. Um, so the context of this passage, uh, Jesus is risen, right? Amen. Amen. Right? So Jesus died, rose again from the grave, and, and then he meets his disciples as he promised. Remember, he told the disciples that he was, he was going to come back and they would see him. But Jesus also told his disciples that they needed to go to Galilee, to, to the mountain, right? And so uh, he th- then said that he would meet them there and that they would see him. And in verse 16, it says this. It says, now the 11 disciples, remember, Judas had betrayed Jesus, and so they were, they were down to this group of 11 disciples. They had not yet picked Matthias, who would later become another disciple. But they were down to the 11. And the 11 disciples did what Jesus told them to do. They went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. The disciples, in essence, obeyed what the Lord told them to do. Now, this might seem very small to us and insignificant because all Jesus did was tell them to go to a mountain. But listen, if we can't be obedient to the small things that the Lord asks us to do, then how can we ever expect us to be obedient to the big things? Uh, It's a little thing to go to a mountaintop, but the disciples said, you know what, that's our Lord and our Master and our Savior, and what He calls us to do, we're going to do. But how often when the Lord tells us to do something easy, we resist it or we push back the prompting of the spirit. Can you imagine with me for a moment? Jesus had just directed the disciples to go to the mountain, mountains. And imagine this is Peter because Peter always gets a bad rap for blur- blurting out abruptly. Uh, can you imagine if Peter would have said, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about this. I don't know if he knows what he's talking about. Uh, I mean, I know he just rose from the dead like he said he was going to do, but I, 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 guys, I think we should go to the sea instead. Like, let's go back to fishing. 
They could have easily done that, but they did what God had commanded them to do. When you and I choose to go in a different direction other than where the Lord is calling us to go, we're disobeying the leading of the Holy Spirit, which in turn is sin. Disobedience to God's leading and prompting in our life is sin. It's saying, nope, I got better ideas, God. I I think I know better than you. Try that. Let me know how it goes for you. But the first point is this, obey the promptings. Now, uh, some cults will tell you that uh, you know you have the spirit if you get this burning in your stomach, right? Have you ever eaten at Taco Bell? <laughs> I get the same burning. And I'm not talking about the burning that you get after a, a meal or a heartburn or whatever. I, I'm talking about that prompting that you know that without a shadow of a doubt, this is the Holy Spirit's leading. And I'm sure we've all been there. You, you know, after you just hear a message about sharing your faith and uh, the pastor you know, says, hey, who's going to get on board with going in the neighborhood? And you're like, it's just tapping away at your heart. You're like... I'm, I'm avoiding it. Nope, not, not, not going to do it. You know, e- even now, as Craig and Diane mentioned that we were going to do that, you know God has called you as a believer to do that. But you avoid it. I've done it too. The Lord asks you to go talk to somebody or he prompts you to share the gospel with this person or that person, and you're just like, oh, right now, it's inconvenient for me, Lord. I don't know if we realize this or not, but there are souls on the line. Uh, People who don't know Christ are going to hell. That's just the facts. If they don't know Christ, how are they to know Christ? Romans talks about uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and preach the message. And preaching is not just here. You and I have the same message. It's the message of hope, the message of the gospel that changes lives and has the power into salvation. You and I have that message. And you don't have to go to Bible college or seminary to have that same message. The book of Acts, chapter 8. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, Philip, a follower of the Lord, is just minding his own business one, one day, and he's prompted by the Spirit to approach an Ethiopian eunuch who was in a chariot. You talk about the most inconvenient time ever. Philip does not have the, the strength in himself to catch up to this chariot, but it says, if you look at the literal translation, that Philip actually ran next to this chariot until the Ethiopian eunuch invited him into the chariot. So he's running. He's like, hey, hey, do you know what you're, you're reading? And he goes, no, how am I... How How am I supposed to know? How am I supposed to know unless somebody tells me? But he was prompted by the Spirit through an angel of the Lord, the Bible says. In verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. An angel is just another name for messenger. Uh, And so a messenger shows up and asks Philip, he prompts Philip, he tells Philip to go to this place and there he would meet this Ethiopian eunuch. And here's my encouragement to us this morning. Whether you go with us after potluck or not, listen, you and I are still called to share our faith. Not just on this day, but every day. 
And trust me, it can be a little nerve-wracking sometimes. It can be a little scary, like, what am I going to say? I don't have all these biblical doctrines in my back pocket where I can just say, hey, do you know what total depravity is? Because that's you right now. Only one person got that. That's okay. See, we're all on the same page together. But how do you know that you aren't going to be used by God to bring someone to Christ? What if God is going to use you today? What if you're, you just go up to one door and that first door is somebody who says, I'm ready to receive Christ? What if? I, I think we look at the scary what ifs of sharing our faith, but we don't look at the fact that our, our what ifs ultimately belong to God. If you just be obedient to it, watch God show up. And that's a challenge for all of us, for me and you. But in verse 17, Matthew goes on to record this. He says, and when they saw him. So Jesus had risen from the dead, right? And he's, in, he's, he's where he directed the disciples to go. And what does it say some of them did? They worshiped him. But then it also says that some of them, you got your Bibles? Come on. Let's go. They what? Okay. They doubted. And so the ones who saw Jesus, they fell at Jesus' feet, which, by the way, is the right response to seeing the risen Lord. And you might say, well, I haven't seen him. No, but Jesus touches on that. In John chapter 20, verse 29, I don't think it's up on the screen, but he, he asks this question. After he's resurrected from the dead, he's meeting with his disciples again. He says, have you believed because you've seen have you believed because you've seen me? Because I, I'm literally standing in front of you with holes in my hands. Do you, do you believe? And he says to his disciples, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and I. And there is great encouragement in that because those words come from Jesus himself. But we come to this other group. So some worshipped Jesus, but then some doubted. As we'll see in Mark's gospel, Jesus rebuked them. He's like, listen, I did all these miracles in front of you. I, I gave sight to the blind people. I made the, the deaf hear. I fed uh, 5,000, 4,000 people. I just rose from the dead and you're still doubting me. He would rebuke them. But it wasn't a rebuke to make them feel bad. It was a rebuke to get them going in the right direction. Point number two is that sharing your faith starts with worship, involves worship, and ends with worship. Now, I may be biased, but I think we have a pretty good worship team. Like, best in town. Uh, Ian, didn't, you didn't say amen, right? Because that would, okay, that would be, Okay. <laughs> But oftentimes we just limit it to that. We limit it to the instruments and the singing and, 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 and that's a component of it for sure. Um, I, I mean, these people up here and even the ones running sound and video, that's all a part of worship. And, and sometimes we think that this is where it's at. In order for me to really worship, I gotta learn how to play the drums like Tyrone. I'm, I'm trying, okay, all right. <laughs> But worship is not just lifting our voices. 
We share our faith because we worship the one who saved our souls. We share our faith because we worship the one who can save others' souls. We share our faith because we worship the one who took our sins upon himself and rose from the grave. We share our faith because we worship the one we want others to know about. That is worship. It's not just up here on a Sunday morning. It's sharing our faith as well. It's an act of worship. It's a form of worship. The definition of worship is, is this. It's to ascribe worth to or to show reverence and adoration for. Psalm 29 verse 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Listen, we just sang about his holiness, about his pure radiance, his brightness, his, his perfection. We sang about that. And most of us, we lifted our voices because we're in agreeance with that. And listen, we are still in agreeance with that, even after the song is over. You might be asking the question, well, okay, some worshiped Jesus. And others doubted. What if I fall into the category of the doubters? What if I'm a doubter this morning? What if I'm, I'm doubting what I believe? You're in good company. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was a doubter, right? John the Baptist was preparing the way for the Lord, for Jesus. And uh, John the Baptist was locked up in prison because of really ultimately sharing the gospel message and he wrote a letter to Jesus in Matthew 11, 20, or 2 through 3. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who's to come, or should we keep looking? Like, are you the guy? Are you really the Messiah? Like, and Jesus goes on to this long spiel of, he says, tell John this. Who else opens the eyes of the blind? Who else unplugs the, the ears of the deaf? Who else makes the lame to walk? Who else? And Jesus says, I am. I am the Messiah. I am the one who you are expecting. The disciples were doubters as well. Some of them didn't believe, and Jesus rebuked them, like I said, for their unbelief, but the interesting thing is that even in spite of their unbelief, Jesus still sent them out. Jesus still said, go. Mark 16, 14 is where uh, Jesus rebukes them. He says, afterward, he appeared to the 11 themselves, and as they were reclining at table, he rebuked them for the, um, their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Mary and Mary came running to the disciples in their over, uh, overwhelming joy and said, our Lord is risen. Nah, can't be. Somebody probably took his body out of the tomb, and they probably tricked us. He says, no, 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 an angel told us. They still doubted. Like I said, the Lord would send them out anyways. Uh, but why would he send them out? Wouldn't you want somebody strong in their faith, like who's confident in sharing the gospel, who knows all the ins and outs, the tips and tricks, who knows handelism? None of you remember that from last year, so we'll get to that later. Um, but why would he send these out? Why, why would he send these, out, uh, these doubters out? Listen, when you share your faith, it strengthens your faith. That's why, because you will only share that which you believe. Peter, one of the pillars of the early church, 
right? Uh, he, he was in the boat. You remember the story. Jesus came to him walking on the sea and, and the disciples were in there and Peter says, okay, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come. And so what does he do? Peter, in faith, steps out on the water, right? And he's walking with Jesus. Jesus is walking on this water and it says in scripture, as soon as he saw the wind and the waves, he began to sink. Why? Because he doubted. In Matthew 14, 31, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But who did God use in order to bring 3,000 souls to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? I'll give you a hint. Starts with P, ends with eater. Anybody get it? Okay, good. (laughs) But maybe you're in that category today. You're a doubter. You're doubting. Maybe you're not strong in your faith. Maybe you're new in your faith and you're still fuzzy in in how this whole walking with Jesus thing works. Listen, that's a good place to be because God can use the doubts that you have. But but I, I challenge you to this. If you are doubting, go share your faith. I challenge you to it. See, when we have our doubts, when it comes to sharing our faith, they oftentimes turn into excuses if we're not careful. Excuses like, I don't know enough of the word of God. I don't have a drug dealer, gangbanger, alcoholism kind of testimony. I don't either, quite frankly. But here's your testimony, and here's my testimony. You once were lost, now you're found. You once were blind, but now you see. You once were dark, but now you are light. You once were dead, but now you are alive. That is our story. Your other excuse might be, that's the hardcore believer's job. Like, the one who comes to church every Sunday. Oops. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's the one that, man, they're here every single day of the week. The only one that is here every single day of the week almost is me. So uh, don't leave it to me. <laughs> Let's do it together. Uh, listen, like I said, there's no such thing as really a hardcore believer. We're all sinners, We're just one beggar sharing with another beggar where to find bread. Here's the truth. When you share your faith, your doubts will be weakened and your faith will be strengthened. Verse 18, it says, and Jesus came and said to them. You see that word, them? It wasn't like, okay, doubters. Jesus looked at the few that doubted. He was like, I'm gonna use these guys because they're very strong in their faith. But these doubters, Get your act together, guys. Like, I'm, I'm going to need you to, you know, get to this level where you're just this spiritually elite group, and then I'll use you. Does it say that? It doesn't say that in my Bible. I'm pretty sure it doesn't say it in yours either. He said to them, what did he say to them? He said in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen, why does God choose to use the doubters, those who are weak, those who are new in their faith or who have been walking with the Lord for years and maybe they're, little, they're still fuzzy in their faith? Here's why he uses those type of individuals. It's because in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, but God chose what is foolish in the world. Anybody thankful for that? Because that was me. I guess I'm the only one. Ian, always, always. We're the foolish ones in here. (laughs) To shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world. To shame the strong. Aren't you glad that God uses foolish and weak things in the world? 
He says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does this mean exactly? Well, exactly what Jesus meant for it to mean. All authority in heaven uh, and on earth has been given to me. There's not much to it. Jesus has the authority. The authority over what? Authority, by definition, means to have power or right to control or govern, right? Jesus has authority over all things. That's the bottom line. Uh, I, I remember, actually, uh, the other day, again, with my middle child, he, he said, Dad, did God really speak through a donkey? And I said, well, yeah. And he says, well, what was the owner's name? And we went off, and I, I told him it was Balaam. And this. He, said, he said, well, how? How did he do that? And I said, listen, I don't know the fine-tuned details of how he did it, but I know this. If God can speak through a donkey, it means he's in charge of creation. And if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you and I. Listen, Jesus has authority over all creation, all of humanity, all of eternity. He is in control. And listen, he is in control regardless if people make him their Lord or not. He is in control. Ephesians 1.21 verse uh, 1.21 to 22, it says, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus has authority over the present, he had authority over the past, he'll have authority in the future, he has authority in eternity, Jesus has authority. The true Christ doesn't just have authority over those who have placed him as their Lord, the true Christ has authority over all flesh, whether you believe or not. All creation, all eternity, who do you think determines your days? He does. Which means he has authority over your life, whether you agree with him or not. He is in control. I want to read Revelation 5, uh, the whole chapter. It's not very long, but Revelation chapter 5. If you want to turn there and follow along. It says this, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Jesus Christ has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb to be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is Jesus. Jesus has authority over all. It's the only, only person that any of these four living creatures or, or elders will bow down to is Jesus alone. He alone is worthy. He alone has all the authority. Listen, Biden does not have the authority that Jesus has. Harris does not have the authority that Jesus has. Kintaji Brown Jackson does not have the authority that Jesus has. Newsom does not have the authority that Jesus has. You and I do not have the authority that he has. Only Jesus has the authority that Jesus has. Why? Because he's Lord. Since he is Lord and has all authority, then sharing our faith is really not dependent on our authority, but the authority that comes from him. When we share our faith, we're not sharing based off of the authority of our faith, but the authority of Jesus. But let me ask you a question because I think we can live in our Christian bubbles sometimes. And, and honestly, my prayer is that your bubbles would start to pop today. That we would get outside of our bubbles, that we would go to the lost, we would preach the gospel, we would, we would tell people about how good of a God he really is. We would get outside of ourselves and we would realize that sharing our faith is not dependent upon our power, but upon his authority. But let me ask you this. If we were to start being persecuted, like we hear of so many other countries, where do you stand in your faith? Where do you stand in your faith this morning? Will you still share your faith according to what the world is asking? Because what they're asking is for us as Christians to shut our mouths. Or will you share your faith based off of the authority of Christ? It's a decision we all have to make. Or, let me ask it this way. Will you be an abuk? Not a boo from Aladdin, but a book. Let me explain. Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you've never read it before, I would encourage you to read it. But as I was studying for this message, I came across this story. It goes like this. Uh, although this atrocity occurred several years ago, it is included here because the Christian martyr who was brutalized by Islamic soldiers still carries the marks of her suffering in her body. Let me back up just for a minute. This happened in 2001. Those marks are no less than the marks that the Apostle Paul referred to when he said, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And this Christian woman could well be ranked with those disciples who rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Her name is Abuk. She lives in the war-ravaged country of Sudan where a jihad, a holy war, 
against the mostly Christian South was raged for, ne- for nearly two decades. At the time of the atrocity, Abuk lived with her family in a small village near the front lines of a battle being fought at the time. One morning, just after dawn, Islamic soldiers raided her village. Most of the villagers fled before the marooding soldiers, but Abuk was not able to get away in time. Several soldiers abducted her and told her that she had to go with them. She refused. They then told her that she must convert from Christianity to Islam immediately, renouncing Christ and accepting Muhammad as the chief and the last prophet of God. She again refused. Enraged at her refusals, the soldiers savagely tore off her clothes and tied her up, and after starting a fire, they put their large knives into it until they were red hot, and then stabbed, sliced, and mutilated Abuk's upper chest, shoulders, and back. Fighting to hold back her screams of pain, even as she heard herself screaming, Abuk prayed to Jesus for the strength to withstand the agonizing torture and not to deny or turn from him. When Abuk would still not renounce her Christianity, the soldiers beat her unconscious, unconscious and left her to die of her wounds. Sometime later, she regained consciousness and stumbling, falling, and often crawling, she made her way to the other villagers to get help. Though it's been several years since she was tortured for her Christianity, Abuk still suffers from her massive wounds. She is almost in constant pain from them, and because of a lack of proper medical help where she lives, there is often infection in many of the scars she carries on her body. Abuk has a strong faith in Jesus Christ and would, and would undoubtedly suffer again for him. But like any of us, would be she was always strengthened when Christians come to her villages to bring supplies to encourage them and to tell them that their brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world are praying for them. So let me ask you a question. Will you be in a book? I highly doubt as you share your faith whenever you do, whether you go with us today or when you choose to go on your own time, I highly doubt somebody is going to have a hot knife ready for you. You might get a closed door, You might get a, not today, but listen, let's be bold. Let's be courageous, just like Abuk was courageous, even in the face of persecution. You see, when you go share your faith, and when I share my faith after potluck today, some of you may receive that verbal blow. But listen, it's well worth it for the sake of Christ and what he's done for us. Verse 19, Jesus goes on to say, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So under his authority, Jesus calls us to go make what? Disciples. Point number three, decision versus disciple. Now, behind many decisions for Christ is oftentimes a very emotional experience. Some of us have gone through this life-altering experience. When we first met Christ, we were just wrecked. Some of us wept and wept and wept, just acknowledging our own sin. Others of us did not have that emotional experience. But I know many who have walked up to the altar call, aware of their sin, aware of their need for Jesus, 
moved by the bass from the worship team, thinking that's the Holy Spirit, making a decision, saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm repenting. And once again, finding themselves in the same sin they thought they were out of. All because they misunderstood an emotional experience opposed to a move of the Spirit. There's a big difference. Our emotions ebb and flow. The Spirit is consistent. The Spirit, He's not wishy-washy. Our emotions are very wishy-washy. Some days we're on fire for the Lord. And other days it's like, I don't feel like reading my Bible. Here's what I'm saying. Oftentimes our decisions are based off of emotions. And oftentimes that decision, decision does not stick because it's nothing more than an emotional high. It's nothing more uh, than the lights, cameras, flashy, whatever Craig calls it. Uh, Anyways, what do you call it? Thank you. (laughs) Get the idea. Listen, the the part of repenting we have to understand is this, is that oftentimes when we we repent, if you don't know what repentance means, it's basically a turn in the other direction. The problem with us, though, is that when we repent, we oftentimes, instead of doing a 180, we do a 360. I'm going back to my sin. Yes, I acknowledge that Jesus is my Savior, but there's also my sin that way, and I kind of liked it. But you'll leave empty every single time. See, when Jesus said, make disciples, he didn't say, make sure you create this emotional appeal. Make sure you go on Amazon, get the flashiest of lights, right? Go on, on, on Sweetwater. Uh, Ian's the only one that knows about that. Um, go get the best fog machine. Hang it from the top. Like, you, guys, I want you to make disciples by just putting on a performance. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say we got to make sure we just blow people out of the water. Your lights and cameras and fog machines will not do that, but I can tell you who will, and that is the Holy Spirit. Listen, disciples are made by the Spirit at work around, in, and near an individual, and the Spirit's working is more powerful than the emotional experience you might find at some of these large megachurches. I'm not saying that all decisions at a mega church or wherever the altar call is presented, I'm not saying that all decisions are unauthentic. I know some very strong believers who have given their lives at a large church. But unfortunately, some are very just in the motion of it all. See, I believe the church has at large done a horrible job at fulfilling the Great Commission. We like the decisions. How many people came to the Lord today? Did you count them? Did you count the heads? Did you count how many people were in the seats today? Because we got to keep track of all the numbers. And, you know, how, how, listen, Jesus said one thing, and that was go and make disciples. That's it. Nothing else. That's pretty simple if you're relying on the Spirit. Ask yourself this question as we come to a close. If Jesus is saying, go and make disciples, which he's talking to his disciples at the time, but it extends to us as well, ask yourself this question, have you ever made a disciple? Have you ever made a disciple? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Have you ever made a disciple? You might be asking, what is a disciple? A disciple is a student of who? Jesus. 
what, what, what is this, uh, what else does a disciple entail? He's a follower of who? Not the idea of Jesus, but the true Christ of the Bible. A repentant sinner. Listen, and the question is, how do I make a disciple? Well, we have to understand first that discipleship is not easy. It's hard work. Paul and Timothy had an excellent relationship with each other, but Paul and Timothy didn't develop a relationship overnight. Paul had to disciple Timothy and say, okay, Timothy, follow me as I'm following Christ. That's what a disciple maker is, is somebody who isn't pointing to themselves, but is pointing to Jesus, saying, let's follow Christ together and I'll show you how. So let me ask you a question this morning. Who are you discipling? Who am I discipling? And if you aren't discipling, why not? Even if you know a little bit of God's word, share that. Tell somebody, say, hey, let's go sit down. Let's, let's go through God's word. Let's talk. Let's pray. Let's, let's go to church together. I love what Costi Hinn said. He's a pastor in Arizona. He says, disciples aren't made in a microwave. <laughs> They're made in the field. Keep your work boots by the door each day. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning... The field is ready for harvest. Yeah. Lastly, discipleship is giving direction. Often as believers, we're afraid to say the hard things to others in our life. Because why? I don't want to offend anybody. See, whether a, a Christian brother or sister is in sin or a non-believer needs to hear the truth, sometimes we're so timid because we don't want to upset anybody. But listen, I think people need to be ruffled up a little bit. Listen, if you tell somebody the weight of their sin and where it leads them, God will do the rest. Obviously, we're not asking you to do a fire and brimstone type of door-to-door type thing. Like, as soon as they open the door, if you don't repent today, you're going to hell. Don't do that. Don't do that. You'll scare them, and then you'll definitely get a door. But listen, in order for people to know the good news, we first need to know the bad news. The bad news is this. Without Christ, you and I are headed to hell. But with Christ and acknowledging what he did for you and I, we can be forgiven of our sins, and we can have the hope of eternity. That is our message. And so discipleship is hard work. It's also giving direction. Let me close with this. Second time I said, let me close, or I'm closing. Number four, remember who is with you. Verse 20, and behold, I am with you sometimes. Oh, good, you're paying attention. To just the edge, to the end of the age. Did you know Jesus makes good on his promises? Did you know that? You you might say, wait, hold on. I thought Jesus was at the right hand of the Father. Like, I I thought when he ascended, he said that it would be better for him to leave so we could have the Holy Spirit. I'm confused. Listen, when Jesus says, I, he's not speaking about a singular person. He's speaking of the triune God. Uh, Doctrinally speaking, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. It's the Holy Spirit who resides in us. But Jesus is saying, listen, Behold, the triune God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, we're all working for you. 
and with you. Listen, the Holy Spirit resides in you, leading you and guiding you. But at the end of the day, listen, Jesus is interceding for us. We can go deeper into that, but maybe you aren't a Christian today. Maybe you aren't following Christ. Or maybe this whole time you thought you were. Maybe you had this emotional experience and you thought, man, I'm saved. But listen, emotional experiences don't save an individual. Only Jesus does. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord today. Listen, the good news is, is that no matter where you're at this morning, Jesus died for you. And he's saying, listen, come to me. Come to me and and you'll receive forgiveness. You'll receive salvation. But it first starts with acknowledging our sin and saying the only one that can forgive me of my sin is Christ. Choosing to repent daily. Choosing to follow him in, in all our ways. Listen, if you haven't given your life to Christ today, or maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ today, don't wait. Do it today. You can talk to any one of the the elders or myself here. But listen, like my son reminded me in the beginning, that I know nothing. But let's take that stance when it comes to sharing our faith in the regard to we know nothing of what God is going to do when we share our faith. Let's just be obedient and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So... At Potluck, there's going to be some tables obviously set up, but at each table there will be either, I can't be at every table, hold on. Uh, Cliff will be at one table, Craig will be at another table, Ian will be at another table. And the desire is to spur you on to share your faith even more, to encourage you. And I mentioned angelism in the message, and some of you are like, what is that? Sounds weird. Um, It's a way that you can share your faith and you can easily remember what to bring up as you share your faith. So I challenge you. Yes, stay for the food. Remember, it's not an all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, (laughs) But stay after that as well. Let's live out this message. Let's live out the Great Commission because people need to hear the gospel message. Amen? Okay, let's stand and we'll pray and then we'll close out with the chorus. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have called us to make disciples. And sometimes it's, it's a very interesting thing to, to wrap our minds around. But Lord, you've called us nonetheless to do just that. Not to play the part of the Holy Spirit, but to rely on you, Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would give us boldness and courage. That you would strike our fear, God, that you would replace it with your strength, your boldness, your determination to do exactly what we're called to do, to to reach the lost and encourage the found. Lord, I pray that you would fill each and every one of us with your Holy Spirit this morning. God, that we we might live and move and have our being according to the Spirit. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. I pray that whatever neighbors we talk to after the potluck today, Lord, that you would just have their hearts prepared and possibly even see, come, see some come into the, the kingdom today. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.